1: Welcome to the family with
2: Alex Bernard rasmussen co-host Catherine Brandt,
1: and Andy Bernard Haven't seen L.A. Nick yet. We've got a special guest coming up, Tom Murphy. The book is called The, the Anniversary Box. It's a novel. Uh, we'll talk to Tom Murphy right after this with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest?
3: Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own.
1: Go to Coon Rapids Nissan or walsernissan.com for details. There are definitely things to avoid during a Minnesota winter, like licking a flagpole or waiting too long to replace that car battery. But number one on the list is taking a chance on your furnace. Hey, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, reminding you that a furnace clean and tune will improve efficiency, reliability, and peace of mind. Or maybe it's time to take advantage of Sabre's rebates and upgrade to an energy-efficient Bryant system. Don't take chances on your comfort. Visit SaberHeating.com. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Uh, duh, duh, duh. Rock out, Catherine, come on.
0: Get amped. I am. I've had like seven calories today, so you can... Seven big. I'm on a juice cleanse.
1: Oh, you were telling me that. Yeah, you and Dan both are, aren't you? Yep. How's that going?
0: It's (laughs) fine. No, it's fine. I'm really not looking forward to the lunch juice, though, because all the other juices sound really good, but the lunch one is like cucumber, romaine, celery, kale, blue-green algae, and Mm -hmm. lemon juice. Sounds Sounds a little bitter. It's going to be so swampy and gross. All so the other ones, gross. all the other ones are totally fine. i just psych like
2: yourself into that. I know not just, gross. it's going to be
0: delicious mm-hmm. and great, and yeah, it's like they're each one is fifty to 120 calories, and you drink one every two hours, <coughs> and so, and I usually eat about 3,000 calories a day,
1: so it's
0: way lower. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's quite a bit lower than 3,000 a day. It's, it's
0: 600 total calories. In a day, and so That's I... That's it? Yep.
1: That's not a lot. No. It's so only when for you come three days. It, so. Yeah, but when you come out of it, you can't go right back to 3,000 calories. No, no. That's not how it works, it unfortunately. Takes, it
0: says it will take two to three days to kind of, like, get to where you want to be for... I'm doing it to get rid of residual wasp sting drama. And right. Because I still... Like, my joints still hurt. I still have, like, weird brain fog...
2: Uh, So, who knows? You should be drinking my special stuff. What special stuff? I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it.
1: What do you mean? Who did you get it from?
2: Your Uh, pyramid pyramid scheme stuff?
1: (laughs) Oh, pyramid scheme. That's nice. I
0: mean, oh, my God. I mean, (laughs) it's pyramid scheme. Is it good? We'll talk about it
4: off the air. (laughs) All right, never mind. (laughs) Well, good thing Tom is ready to go.
2: Good. Yay. (laughs) Saved by the Tom.
1: (laughs) Saved by the Tom. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he'd be very, very proud and very glad to hear that you've been saved by the Tom Murphy. It's not just Tom Murphy anymore, sir. You're now the Tom Murphy. What do you think of that? Well, it's
5: not every day that I get to be, you know, um, credited with with saving people (laughs) with use of my name. So thanks for the uh, honor.
1: Not yeah, a problem anytime. at all. Not a problem at all. So, Well, you know, i got to be honest. His family grew up Catholic, so anybody with the last name of Murphy gets special treatment anyway. You know, that's just how it goes. There you go. There you go. Thanks a lot. Tom Murphy penned the anniversary box after his wife, Barb, a marathon runner, passed away following a hard-fought battle with non-smoking lung uh. cancer. See, Tom, that's something that just would anger me to no end, and I, you, you're, you're a much better man than I so your wife didn't smoke at all. Still gets lung cancer. Still passes away. How did? How do you deal with that, Tom?
5: You know, it's interesting you mentioned because you're right. I mean, it's a choice. You know, what, what are you going to do with the with the emotion that 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 you feel? And you know, let me let me just say that. And and you're right, Barb had non-smokers' lung cancer. Um, she and I were married for 33 years. She uh, we were marathon runners. Probably did uh, dozens of marathons together. Did seven New Yorks. It was uh, it was our thing. And um, 2007, she got uh, non-smokers' lung cancer out of the blue. Never smoked. It just no symptoms and um, mm. strong as can be. And suddenly she has lung cancer. So um, and 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 she fought it for for six years. And and I can tell you that that and any couples that have been in situations like that know that that you talk and and we did and we had conversations and they largely are around how do you how do we stay strong? How do we how do we get through this? And um and that and 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 you know, the thing about Barb is that um she never once went to victimhood. She never like said life's unfair, why me, never once complained. It's incredible, but she never did. And so therefore I learned powerful lessons of, of courage and resiliency from her example, just by watching her yeah. be strong, and uh, and so she fought it for six years. She passed away in 2013. And um, you know, my my real work, my job, I run an institute. I created an institute at Fordham University in New York, where I do workshops to teach veterans how to tap their resiliency strengths to to get jobs, and uh, and I do those all around the country. And, um, you know, she passed away in 2013. So I put all my energy into, into, into that and building that, that work, you know, those uh, workshop series around the country. And then, you know, of course, everybody knows the pandemic hit last year. And sure. everybody went into lockdown. And, you know, the planes stopped flying. And so I had time to, to reflect. And uh, what I did is I reflected back last summer on all the lessons in, in courage that I, that I learned from Barb. So I put them into a tale called The Anniversary Box. And, um, you know, would you like me just to give you sort of a background on what the story is?
1: I would love to hear it, Tom. I'm sure everybody would.
5: Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, what it is, it's, you know, it's, it's a fiction, it's a novel, but it's based on, on these, these these lessons that i le- encouraged that I learned, learned from Barb. So uh, it's a story about a couple who each year on their anniversary... They, they write a message to each other to affirm their love and suggest ways to make it stronger, and then they seal the message, messages away in an anniversary box. And now their daughter uh, is about to get married. The mom is deceased at this point. The dad has just had a stroke, and so he's incapacitated. So, but, and, and the daughter at that point learns about this anniversary box, that it existed. So, uh, but she, she needs her parents' guidance, but she can't turn to them, obviously, so the story is she sets out on a journey to find the anniversary box to unlock the twenty four messages the couple was married for twenty four years and unlock the twenty four messages and learn the secret for how you can keep love alive for a lifetime before she steps to the altar herself. So that's the arc of of, of the story and uh, so we follow the young the young lady as she she goes out on a, on, on a search and you know, reconnects with her her past and learns things and gains clarity about things. On a search for this anniversary box, which is, you know, the the um, that contains these these inspirational messages. So, um, the the messages, as I said, are based on things that I learned, uh, you know, watching Barb about how couples can can stay strong in adversity. And um, the young lady wants to to learn them before getting married. So, hopefully, the the story can be. Uh, you know, a fun read for people, but inspirational, and they can, can they can learn things that I learned along the way, and they can can learn them to help make you know relationships on their end stronger.
2: I'm buying this immediately. <laughs> 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 That's my
5: wife, well, there, Tom. No, please, please, <laughs> no, 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 please, please, please do because uh, you know I have we we have a foundation. Family after Bart passed away, set up a a foundation to you know support a cure for lung cancer. So I'm going to be using proceeds from this, um, the book to, to build our, our Cure Lung Cancer effort. So, you know, you'll, you'll be hopefully getting a, a story that can give you um, valuable, you know, uh, things you can learn and, and, and you know, help um, think, bring, bring ways to enhance your life. But you'll also be contributing to, to a good cause in curing lung cancer.
2: Well, it sounds wonderful. I'm going to gift it to my brother and my sister-in-law, who are both going through a bunch of cancer treatments right now. Uh, yeah, and thanks. life has been not yeah. so great the last uh, year and a half for them. So this would be a wonderful read yep. for them, because it's, it's hard to stay together when you're both fighting for your life.
5: Well, you know, you're absolutely right. When you're in the middle of it, you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, a story was the furthest thing from my mind. when you're When you're in the middle of it and couples know... One person is ill, and the other is a twenty-four-seven caregiver. So, so you're in it. And um, but you know, I think you know we can we can all say, well, well, let's keep love alive. But it takes it takes takes action to mm-hmm. do that. There are things you need to do to yep. to stay strong. Mm-hmm. And and these are things that, that you know. On my end, I learned I learned watching Barb and her courage, and hopefully people will gain those from the story.
1: Tom, a couple of quick things over the years because I've been doing this. Uh... Radio now for about 50 years, did voiceover for a number of years as well, and, and two very quick things. Um, one, I remember Jacob Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped many, many years ago with 11-year-old, 12-year-old boy in the state of Minnesota. It was a national story, and his family called and asked if I would uh, voice a bunch of, of uh, public service announcements talking about kidnapped children and missing children, and we did, and it was very difficult because the whole family was there. And reading about their boy missing, and they had no idea. Well, they did eventually find him because they found the guy who killed him and buried him. So luckily, Many they, years
2: later. Yeah.
1: Many, many years later. But uh, that was very difficult to read that in front of them. But there was another situation where I got a call from uh, several families and asked if I would cut a public service announcement uh, anti-huffing. Huffing is when, where they spray what paint into a rag and then it can be huff that. Paint. It can be gasoline. It could be a solvents, lot of
2: aerosols. Basically, yeah, any yeah. sort
1: of volatile compound. So what I'm saying, Tom, is that there was a very difficult thing, because the father of the of the boy who had died was there while I read it again. So that was a very difficult part. But the reason I'm bringing it up is the great part of it all is you you, you gain this understanding. Uh, the man whose son died from huffing, he was, I believe, 16 years old. <sighs> And I ran into his father about six months later, and I took away what he said to me as a great lesson learned and and how to feel other people's pain, really. Because I ran into him six months later, and I walked up and said, uh, I don't want to say his name, but I'll say it's Bill. It wasn't Bill, but I'll say it's Bill. I walked up and I said, Bill, how are you doing? And he looked at me and said, Tom, how do you think I'm doing? Man, did that hit home, Tom. It, it was, boy, it was a yeah. life changer. But I took that as a great positive. You're absolutely right. I learned that day uh, that across the board. You can do what you can do, and you cut all the PSAs you want and all the rest of it, but I will never understand the agony that you or that man went through. There's no doubt about it.
5: Yeah, and, and no, you're absolutely right, Tom. I think the you know we learn so much uh, from watching, watching people, and we learn... And we probably learn most um, strongly from people's example, and if, you know, if, if they're strong, then uh, then we are impressed by that, and and that becomes a teaching moment for us just watching them. And you know, that was that was the case for for, for me, uh, and you know, other couples that, that go through that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, experience that as well. So in my, in my case, I just sought to take take that, put it into it into a tale. You know, the anniversary boxes. You know, very, very, very hopeful. It's meant to be in, inspirational to uplift you so it can set you on a path and give you a roadmap for how to keep love alive. But they're based on things that I learned from Barb.
1: So that's just a wonderful thing to hear, Tom. It's really great to hear. In addition to being an author, Tom uh, founded the Human Resiliency Institute at Fordham, the Institute's the lead program. Edge for Vets teaches military veterans how to tap their strength to get <coughs> jobs. See, I think you're doing a lot of that. I think you're tapping a lot of people's strengths uh, when you write books and you talk on radio shows and podcasts and all the rest of it. I really like this right now, Tom, because you're dealing with your life and the loss of your your lovely wife, but you're also teaching people lessons, and we need it more than I cannot understand, Mister Murphy, why people, how people can sit on social media and destroy someone's life because of their political opinion. Uh, we we got to get away from treating other human beings like that, don't you think?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just think everything comes down to, to action. And, it, yep. and really, you know, you have a choice. Is your action going to be negative? And, and you just described an example of people who use, you know, their energy in a negative way. Yeah. Or it can be positive, and you put it in into in positives. And, you know, I just, my, my choice, and, and I would, you know, you know, urge that is um focus on on putting your energy outward to others you know others have a need what's their need how can i meet their need do it move forward and it's amazing when you when you put your energy out and you seek to meet somebody's need uh and you help them It, it it really gives you a good feeling and and helps you so that's just the philosophy that i take on it tom
1: God, I can't talk to you anymore, Tom. He's got a bachelor from the 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 hated University of Wisconsin. Ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm right next door. Come on, I'm <laughs> talk about it. He goes, I'm right next door. Positive well, energy, man.
5: <laughs> <laughs> we badgers and go hey listen I will tell you though that <laughs> when I was at University of Wisconsin there was one consolation when it was minus 24 for us I could always look west and figure oh, the guys up in Minnesota they got it at minus 34 you're all 10 uh, degrees colder than that us is that true. was a small consolation that we could take
1: <laughs> so you just dumped it on us Tom I feel much better now about the conversation <laughs> no, it's, it is a terrific situation Tom how do you look at your life now you go because you still have to wait up some mornings and go, why? Why did this have to happen? How do you handle that? No, I don't. You don't really? No, I don't do that. That's wonderful no, to hear. So how can we learn? You know, I it?
5: said I learned from Barb. Barb always said, what is, is. She said, some people get stuff. She said, I just happened to get lung cancer. Yeah. She got it with no symptoms, never smoked, as you know, there's a line in the anniversary box I picked up from her where she ate broccoli up the wazoo to try to stay healthy, uh-huh. um, and she got it, you know. And uh, uh, but never once complained, never once went to why why me or, or anger. Anyways, like she was like, "Hey, life is what is. What is is, and you deal with it." And that's the philosophy that I learned from her, and that's what I that's what I would uh, try to try to ascribe to. Not easy, but that's what I try to ascribe to.
1: Well, see, Tom, already I learned something from you today because I struggle with so the way some people act and some people I've dealt with, close friends or co-workers or whatever, that have done some pretty nasty things. And once in a while, not a lot, but once in a while I wake up thinking about why did they have to do that? But now I've learned from Tom Murphy that that's a complete waste of time and I need to get away from that. I think that's it's terrific advice. Yeah, well, thanks.
5: I mean, thanks. Again, it's not me. I'm just... I'm just channeling what I've learned along the way, and right. you know, in the case of the anniversary box, I tried to put that into a story form.
1: Now you've written several books, and and I, uh, boy, I tell you what, some interesting subjects you've covered over the, over the years, all the way from, uh, God, 1957. That's going back away. John J. Kelly, the 1957 Boston Marathon winner, just call me Jock. See, I thought it would have been about me when I saw the title, but then I realized. There's no way it was going to be about me, so you know.
5: Well, no, I'll just, I'll just, you know, um, mention Jock Semple was for fifty years the heart and soul of the Boston Marathon. Um, you know, now it's, you know, got thirty, forty thousand people who run it every year. But you know, back then uh, he, he would keep it alive. I mean, it started in 1897, but you know, during the 40s and 50s, it had some lean times. Yeah. And Jock Semple was the co-director and kept it alive, but. You know, he was a runner. He ran his first Boston Marathon in 1929. So he he had a 50-year experience as a runner and a, and a coach and a trainer and a director. Anyway, so Johnny Kelly, who won the Boston Marathon in 1957, and I teamed up to write Jock's biography, which we 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 did it as a way to tell that 50-year history of the Boston Marathon through Jock's eyes. So you you experience that 50 years of the marathon through through Jock and. And that was the first book that I, that I wrote and, and, and did that way back then when I was a, was a kid because, you know, I was a Boston Marathon guy, and, and Jock asked me to write his life story. I was a young kid teaching in the schools back then, and Jock asked me to write his life story. And um, so I did with Johnny, and um, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful experience connecting with, you know, that marvelous history of the Boston Marathon and, and getting that on the paper. So did that you, was the first book.
1: Did you ever run the Boston Marathon, Tom?
5: Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and uh, you know, Barb and I ran seven, New York seven seven times oh, together, so goodness. that was my thing, you know, mar- marathon running. And um, I did Boston in 2016 was the last one I, I did as a way to create awareness for our Cure Lung Cancer campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, no, I mean, running, you know, everybody's got a something, and my thing was, was running.
1: See, I think that's wonderful. I just, uh, the reason I asked you that question is I just took up walking long distances. I, I tend to average, uh, a lot of days I walk 13 miles. So I basically walk a half a, right. half a marathon several days a week. Right. And when I don't, I get right. about eight or nine miles. And, and Tom, it makes, when I'm out there, and I've, I've never run a marathon. Um, that feeling that you get just from walking, whether it's the dopamine, the endorphins, or whatever, is a much really kick in running a marathon. Yeah, it must make you feel terrific. Oh,
5: it's, it's the best. I mean, I've been a runner since I was thirteen as a kid. So oh, okay. you know, yeah, it's it's that. But you know, people, it just get out. And you're right, moving with with biking or swimming or running or walking or what. You know, you 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 just get out there. And you know, for me, that was that was so much of my life. And and then, of of course, when I would do stories in the case of the jock book um you know i draw from that and then the the other one i think you mentioned um that i wrote called runner in red was right. a um a boston uh, a, a mystery based on uh, a real life boston marathon legend and, uh, and i'll just say briefly that in 1951 okay the first you know women were not allowed to run in the boston marathon as you know Back then, the rules prohibited them from running. But it was 1966 that Roberta Gibb and then a year later Catherine Switzer in 67 snuck in and got all the publicity for women in the marathon and started the ball rolling that led to women's running. But 15 years before that, 1951, and this is the legend, a group of Canadian runners insisted that they saw a woman wearing red in the Boston Marathon, and they went up to Jock Semple, who was the director at that point, finish line, and they said, hey, you got this woman, there's a woman in there, and she was wearing this. Well, nobody believed them. Uh, it was never proven, so it became the legend of the runner in red. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a mystery that came out in 2018 that is a search for that the runner in mm-hmm. red to see if they can find the runner in red, uh, blending real-life Boston Marathon characters like Johnny Kelly and Billy Rogers, etc., cetera, um, with the fictional characters in a search for the runner in red. So, you know, running has been my thing, and a lot of times I'll write stories that draw from that.
1: See, I think that's wonderful. I, I absolutely love the idea. Uh, you know, I I was born in 1951, and I, I often think about, well, I wonder if I should start running again. And I thought, well, maybe now. Walking's probably but I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a whirl just to see if I can get, I get out there and uh, make my way around a track running. But uh, but the walking part of it is fantastic. I want to take do – you, do you have uh, – I, I need to take a couple-minute break. Uh, do you have ten more minutes? You're on the schedule, but I want to make sure you actually have the time to stay ten more minutes. Do you, can you yeah, do sure. that? You can. Yeah. Okay, we'll be back in just a couple yeah. of minutes more, ladies and gentlemen. A fascinating story, and uh, – uh, A big question coming up. Tom Murphy with us, ladies and gentlemen. The anniversary box, the novel is available on Amazon and everywhere. Back, we got about another ten minutes with Tom Murphy. Back right
3: after this.
1: Amateurs, why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Priority Courier Experts does not have the largest inventory of lease-to-own trucks anymore. Hold on now. Anymore. All right, fill me in. Pat, who in town buys brand new trucks and immediately puts those rigs into the most honest and ethical lease-to-own program? Priority, that's who. But you said they don't have the largest inventory. Let me spell it out for you. First, Priority orders the finest spec of Kenworth and Freightliner trucks. These rigs cost anywhere between one hundred thirty-five dollars to $215,000. That's more than my house. I hope things get better for you, man. Next, a qualified driver sits down with one of Priority's onboarding specialists, reviews the lease-to-own program, and earning potential of partnering with one of the world's largest same-day delivery companies. And shazam, another partnership is formed, and that driver is on their way to owning that rig In five years or less.
2: That sounds simple.
1: It is that simple. That's why Priority doesn't have the largest inventory of new trucks anymore. Because these rigs roll off the lot almost as soon as they arrive. (coughs) Calling all drivers. Take charge of your driving career today. Visit Priority.com or call Robbie, Nick, Chad, or Mike, 651-748-4465, and they'll get you on the road. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Yeah, you know, I always like that. Every time you call us, tagline.
2: Yeah, I remember when Steve pulled every truck off the road to hang that tagline on the
1: sides. Hey, Pat, your finger still on the record button? We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Murphy, our very special guest. The anniversary box, the novel is available at Amazon and pretty much everywhere. Uh, Tom Murphy, if if you will do this. Tell me um, as much about Barb as you can. I mean, where'd you meet Barb? How long had you dated? When did you get, no, I mean, as much as you can about Barb, because obviously she's very special to you, so I want to hear all about her.
4: Yeah,
5: well, no, thanks for, no, thanks for asking. Um, my first job out of uh, college, you know, and we talked about it in the other segment is, you know, you're up in Minnesota and I was at University of Wisconsin, but uh, I moved to Boston and. Was a was a teacher there, and and that's where we met. Barb was a was a teacher as as well, and uh, I did that for, for several years, and um, got a chance to get a, um, a an MFA in creative writing at the University of uh, British Columbia in Vancouver. Cool. So um, uh, so went out there to to do that, um, and you know Barb. Barb and I, you know, worked together, at, at that point, we've been together ever, ever, you know, since those days, and um, I was a runner and um, introduced her to the sport, and she got really good, <laughs> and uh, really good beating me and um, beating beating a lot of other people. That became her thing, but it became our thing, and so, um, you know, we would be up at 5.30 in the morning to, to lace up the shoes and go out for a six-mile run before work started, she was uh, an interior designer and um you know me I'm always been a, a guy developing programs so um we had our each independent businesses but running was our thing that, that that we did uh and and also um the thing we enjoyed was was beer and conversation um a lot of runners like beer well well barb did did as well and and so uh but she enjoyed the conversation as much as as the beer and that was another big thing that we did we Go out get pizza and beer, and, and just, you know, for hours have, have conversation about, you know, stuff. And, and she was, you know, wonderful at, at, at sort of having an interest in, you know, what made things work and, and, and why are people the way they are. And, and that would lead to, to hours of, of conversation. So um, she just was a, you know, uh, a fascinating person. I used to tell her if I didn't know her, I'd buy tickets to her because she was so fascinating. <laughs> um, and then and then after she passed away, uh, because running and beer were her things, I mentioned earlier that we created a, a Cure Lung Cancer Foundation. Mm-hmm. So we created the Barb's Beer Foundation, uh, and we made a beer, a charity beer called Barb's Beer. You can go to barbsbeer.org, and you can see all the detail about it, and you can see videos about it, etc. Um started it out in in the Seattle area where we were living in two thousand uh, where I was living in two thousand and fourteen um, and brought it to boston and, and and New York after that, and hoping to to grow it into a national um, beer that can raise funds to support a cure for 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 lung cancer. I'll just say this about about the the, the disease two hundred and fifty thousand people a year get lung cancer. Um, and 30,000 of those, Tom, are non smokers. So the kind that Barb got, the non smokers' lung cancer, of the 250,000 who get hit with lung cancer each year, 30,000 of those were never smoked. So it comes out of the, the blue for them. But it's seriously underfunded. And, you know, the, the breast cancer thing through the so- Susan Coleman Foundation and the wonderful work that they've done to raise awareness for breast cancer. For every seventeen dollars that breast cancer gets, and you know you want you want even more than that, I mean the more the the better. but for every seventeen dollars that breast cancer gets, uh, lung cancer research only gets two because I think subconsciously, really? and I've seen articles on this, people think, well, if you have lung cancer, you know you brought it on yourself right. you, smoked, or, you right. know so there's a, there's a there's this very very serious underfunded component to this, and that's why we created the the Barb's Beer Foundation is a way to raise funds um, to to you know address this un, underfunded issue, and um, we give our funds that we raise to uh, a group called CancerGrace.org, which is a charity founded by Dr. Howard West, who was Barb's oncologist for six years. He was so good to her. He's one of the national people can look him up. Dr. Howard West. He's one of the national experts in trying to find a cure for this non-smoking component, for all of it, certainly, but for the non-smoking component as well. And he was so good to Barb um, throughout the whole thing that, that she went through that, um, you know, myself, friends, family decided to, to make this foundation as a way to create awareness for his work and then, through the sale of the beer, raise funds to uh, to support his work in a tangible way. So that's what we're about uh, we got the beer. Before the book, there was the beer, Barb's Beer. Now there's the book, and I'm going to be using, you know, the anniversary box. Hopefully, you know, it'll become a success, and we'll have resources we can plow into the beer and, and make the, the whole effort uh, to find a cure, you know, um, come to fruition. I
1: think it's wonderful. So you people can go on barbsbeer.org and buy the beer from the site? No. No. We right
5: okay. now, right now, you know, it's it's in in bars. Agree to put it on tap, and then uh, it raises funds through the sale of the beer at the bar. So okay. it's in kegs now, but the goal, obviously, is to is to grow it so that we can get it into cans and get it into grocery stores sure. and and get it the kind of thing where where it's everywhere. But like right now, right now, it's in um, Seattle, it's in Boston, it's in New York, and uh, and we're, we're we're seeking to grow it so. You know, as you've been saying on the show today, the folks that folks who want to, you know, read the anniversary box and buy a copy of the novel and and get the, the you know the um, uh, the tips from the the and the inspiration from from the story, they they will be supporting this effort to grow the beer as well because that's what we want to do: grow the beer to support the uh, support Dr. West's
1: work. We will get that done. There's no doubt about that. Tom, uh, is there any understanding at all where? non-smoking lung cancer comes from do they have any idea
5: you know there's I mean obviously a lot of theories um, I think a, a large part of it is maybe the environment you know the environment is not the same it was a hundred years ago you right. know with the, the, the pollutants in the air and um, so there's theories that it comes from that but they don't know and and, it, 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 and, and the thing is it's, it, it's on the rise with, with people, but it's really on the rise from what I understand with, with women and, and for some oh, reason, non-smokers lung cancer and women. Um, so you know just all that makes it all that much more imperative to try to find a cure for this thing and um, uh, you know if we can if we can support Dr. West and, 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 and help him find that cure then hey you know it's worth getting up in the morning
1: right? It is indeed. Mr. Murphy, got to tell you, uh, this, this podcast, uh, my wife is on it, Catherine, our son Andy is on it, and our daughter Alex is on it. This a, The four people in this room right now, we're all members of the family, so I do and we do understand how important Barb was to you, because the four people in this room are very important to one another. Well, they're important yep. to me. I don't know how important I am to them, but they're important to me. <laughs> moderately. <You know? laughs> moderately. I just got moderately, Tom. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it means it. so much. It means so much, and I just just being as close to my wife as I am, I I know it sounds weird, but there's a little twinge of pain just even thinking about you and Barb and what I would do without Catherine. I don't know what I would do, Tom.
5: Yeah, well, you know, again, what I sought to do is to write write a story about yep. how you, yeah, what what a couple could do to to keep life uh, love alive for a lifetime, and then if you do that and you're successful with that it goes on forever and, and I don't want to give away the ending of the story, but it, it goes on nope. forever and ever and ever and, and that's the that's the magic. When you when you can achieve it, it goes on forever and that's the magic.
1: Just for Tom Murphy alone, University of Wisconsin graduate, a very famous Minnesota cheer. <laughs> Go, Badgers, and take the Packers with you.
5: Ooh, that was painful for you to call out the Badgers. <laughs> <laughs> bad was not it. good. It, like <laughs> yeah, ah.
1: it was great pain, Tom, but I got through it somehow. God, if, you're, if you're ever in town, we'd love to have you in studio, Mr. Murphy. It would be great to sit down and talk to you face-to-face.
2: Yes, thank you for doing work well, with vets, too. Well, you know, it may too. be.
5: I do the vet training around the country, and, you know, yeah. I do it at airports, so it may, it may well happen. I'd love, to, I'd love to see you in person.
1: Absolutely. Catherine, you were making a statement.
2: Uh, thanks for working with vets. My dad's a vet. It's wonderful to have yeah, any thanks. support. It's a, it can be tough on them.
5: Thank you. Got, really, uh, thank. Uh, I'm just grateful for your for your interest,
1: ladies and gentlemen. The anniversary box. Tom Murphy will talk soon again. Tom, thank you for your time today, sir. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. God, I, how do you do it every day? You get up and he goes. Nah, what, are your, what What do you think? I don't think about that. He just doesn't think about that. I think he that's the, the, the only. Positive.
0: It's the only thing that you can do. You can sit there and think. I wish it were me, or what if this didn't happen, or I could have done something, or, you know, you can torture yourself, but then you can also just think, like, it happened, and it sucked, but I need to do something with my life
2: that matters, and move from there. I remember... Back in the early days of Doctor Phil,
0: Oh, you loved Doctor Phil did. before it turned into like before it turned into Jerry celebrity, Seinfeld yeah, 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 weirdness. all about
2: celebrities, yeah. and then I stopped watching. I, I don't even thinking, know if it's still on.
0: I was actually thinking about that on my drive home from the podcast yesterday. For some reason, your love of Doctor Phil <laughs>
2: popped into my head. Well, he said he said a few things that have stuck with me over the years. I mean, and I haven't watched that show, and I don't even know six, seven years. I don't even. It's been a long time. But one of the things that I remember it was a show where it was, it was like that. It was a parent had lost a child right. and they were just falling apart and starting to do drugs and ruin everybody else's life in the family because yeah. they couldn't handle yep. the fact that their child had died. And while that is a t- horrible tragedy, Dr. Phil said, how are you honoring your child by yeah, right. doing what you're doing? Yeah. I know. Would your child want this to happen? Because yeah. of what happened to him. Yeah. And it was like, holy yeah. God, that's a, an amazing way of looking at it. Rather yeah. than it's all about me and turning it. How into, I feel about exactly. my loss. Yeah, it's like yeah. I still have to yeah, stay strong for these other children and these other people in my life. And I can't fall apart and, and honor my child at the same time. I mean, obviously, you're always going to have grief, and you're always going to have those times. Right, But you can't let it destroy your life because bad stuff happens.
1: It's kind of interesting. You would think that I could handle that better than I do because I've seen so many people die over the years. Neighbors, you know, three family members being murdered. You know, not my immediate family, but my uncles. Um, you think I would handle it a lot better, but it's... It's not any better. It just—it bothers me a lot. Do you think maybe because I was exposed to you know murder, that that changes the way I think about it all?
2: Um, you have—you are a person that holds on. to I do hold on. It's things. very true. you don't let things go. Well,
1: it's just so weird to know people who have been murdered, people who died so young, people who you know went out and murdered other people after I just had lunch with them it's just a weird thing
2: it's very odd you know, and just... that's why you should be in therapy
1: oh well thank you very much for all your support I <laughs> oh, appreciate I'm it kidding. immensely oh,
0: you absolutely know, yes. that's why I
1: used to talk to Renee about a lot I used to talk to him about that a lot you know. but the one thing that did help me on the other end of things the group I hung out with the Lorenz and Andy Fisher and Greg Lundine and Roy Matson and all those people If anybody got out of line in our neighborhood, they didn't for long because that group of guys stepped up and said, "You aren't going to act like that around here. It ain't going to happen." Which I was very, very happy. But we, we, we did watch out for each other. Andy Fisher would have thrown himself in front of a train to keep it from hitting me.
2: Well, that's what an actual community is.
1: It is, and I wish we'd get back there. Yeah, yeah. I brought this up. uh, You know, I talked. I brought this up to your mom today. Barack Obama is going to have his 60th birthday today. He's canceled it now. It's just going to be family and very, very close friends. Oh, he canceled the big shindig. He canceled the big shindig, yeah.
2: Why? How could he not?
1: Yeah. Because of super spreaders.
2: Well, the fact that he even planned it in the first place is just so weird. Well, a party like that, you're planning months in advance, and it looked like COVID was on its way out at one time to give him the benefit of the doubt.
1: But, okay, Andy and Alex, let me run this by because I already told mom this. So so even though I agree with hardly anything that Barack Obama says politically, I don't agree with much at all that he has to say. I find the way he treats his wife and his children to be very, very nice. I, I think he's a decent person. I just don't understand how it is these people, just because of your political opinion, you're the devil and you're evil and, oh, my God, I hate you. I don't agree with anything he says politically, but I think he's a nice man who treats his family well. Yeah. Why can't people see that far down the line? They just can't.
2: <laughs> Why can't people who are always telling everybody else what to do, you know, and how to do it, let people merge in front of them? <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> Why
2: can't people give someone yeah. the parking space, I know. you know? It's like it just I don't know, people just have their their moments of weakness, I guess.
1: Well, and I remember and when one uh, mm-hmm. of one of the one of the local local black leaders in this market, I've never gotten along with him. He has very extreme opinions and you know uh, I found out that his his grandchild had died, right? I can't get past the fact that I don't agree with him. I don't really care for the guy much. He has literally tried to ruin my life at times. tried to get a cancel deal going. It didn't work, but he's tried i I can't get past the fact that he lost his grandchild at such a young age, so I felt really bad about that. People don't though no I mean I don't care you you really well you went after me and therefore I hate you, and so you lost your grandchild, so what he's still a human being. do people forget that do you think
2: Oh absolutely yeah. people are very how? disconnected from compassion
1: how do you get? disconnected well look being compassionate has cost me a lot of money because you know that. people true.
2: like to virtue signal how compassionate they, they are do, yeah. but when it they actually do. comes to being compassionate you actually have to sit down and think about the other person and what it's like for them right Or we've got this reactive society that all you do is react I deserve to have this child die because yeah, I know. I don't how like you, him. I mean, that's what people think do. That?
1: How could you think you deserve to it lose a child to grandchild? It's
2: this flippant uh, overreaction Crazy. to every little thing. It's just that's what we do now.
1: Do you guys know? Andy, you You don't hang out with a lot of people. You've never been much of a socializer. No, and Alex, uh, you do socialize yes. much more. Do people your age have a better understanding or, or uh, do they all think that, oh, I need to destroy them because they disagree with me?
0: I, it depends on the people. I mean, everyone that I am around cares about other people and being so, empathetic yeah. and compassionate. But there are plenty of people, I think, that don't. I don't know
1: yeah there are plenty of people that don't, but I think that has to do with the family you grew up in as well. You had a very strong mother, and you know all the rest of it and you guys I think that you and Andy are both very compassionate people that you feel very, very bad for people who are not even just suffering, but if they're not even doing that that well, both of you feel bad for them. I can tell that, which is I think great. Do you guys yeah. learn that from your mom i don't
0: I think you and mom are both very compassionate and empathetic and no
1: that's probably true i, I hate being that way but it is true wow
2: well, that's actually a very good thing
1: unless, you let, painful, it, unless you
3: let it unless you let
2: it you know people take advantage of it because a lot of people I, I think a lot of people believe that if you're compassionate and caring that they can capitalize on that as a weakness
0: there's
1: no doubt about that well, you like, got to be able to figure
2: that out that's something that i think about
0: with sage because like fawn is very good at like telling people how it's got to be is not And Sage is a lot more sensitive, and will I could see him being bullied more so than Fawn, because Fawn's really good at standing up for herself. I don't don't know. I've seen him.
2: I've seen him take care of her a couple of times. Yeah, but but that's his sister. Yeah,
0: yeah I don't but think that's
2: how, I don't know. now it's like the little lion cubs pouncing on each other. That's how they learn how to guess, deal yeah. with society. He's only know. three. I know, but I just think about myself as an elementary school
0: kid. I had to take a special class to deal with like just being a person because I couldn't no, handle it. was a it. friendship no, class. No, I was like a disaster. I shut myself in a locker because a kid stole a toy from another kid. I couldn't handle so it. So it should be. I couldn't handle it. And so I had to take a class just to like this is people and this is something that happens. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's <laughs> It'll nice. It'll be okay. That's a good thing. And I mean,
0: thing. like I said, I tear up like probably ten times a day at just stuff. Of just like, oh, this sad thing happened or this sweet thing happened, or I read a book to the kids, or I, you know.
1: But
2: well, I don't know. It's interesting because all of this family stuff that's going on in my life. My yeah, dad's, yeah. you know, kind of fading. He's in a sister living. A of things, you know, he's having some health crises here and there and all this kind of stuff. And it brings up a lot of family stuff.
1: Oh, God, yes.
2: But yeah. You know, I, I come from five siblings, and we've all been talking lately. And it is very interesting because I really grew up thinking none of us really gave a crap about each other that much. Really? Yeah. My yeah, mother follow... my mother never went to any of our track meets swimming nah, things not not You anything. were always pretty either. like disconnected from what I've heard. Yeah. yeah I mean probably. that's just uh, and I don't know if that's just kind of like the era, you know, kids it's yeah, probably like, something you know,
0: let them well, do what your, they're going to do as long as they're not was, causing any trouble. Your mom yeah. also wasn't exceptionally like warm or anything she was very fun and lively and yeah. good for a laugh but
4: she wasn't like a well she was czech that's how czech people are yeah they're not all touchy-feely for the most part because yeah. they're eastern european you know well no. she was always very nice yeah. to me and well, I mean, she, she's nice. Mom, she was
3: always your nice. mom
2: was not like touchy-feely that's true no. she
4: definitely no. wasn't no. 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 Yeah,
2: yeah i think yeah, it has something to do with yeah, if you got touched was mostly a whack yeah. <laughs> yeah but you have to remember
1: what my mother told me on her 62nd birthday My mother was 31 years older than me, so I was 31. She was 62. And for her birthday, I gave her 62 roses and told her I loved her. And she said, you know, you're the first person that's ever told me you love me. My dad never told my mother he loved her, never. Because I think that that small-town northern Minnesota deal, they just don't do it.
2: I don't know if that's just like the era or, or it. if it was our families in particular. But Probably most the of the people I grew up with, their parents were, it was they were like disciplinarians. Yes, it was like, right. you can go and do whatever you want, but if you do something wrong, you're going to mm. hear about it. Right. Everything yeah. I
4: know about the silent and greatest generations uh, is that they didn't express their feelings openly for the most part. No, yeah. they did
1: not. Yeah. I mean, she literally told me I was the very first person that ever told her I loved her. But I, And I believed it because it, it's a mostly German town, and he his family's not uh, – her family was German, 100% mm-hmm. German. So that – and Germans are not big on the I love you kind of deal anyway. Yeah, that's true. They're not. At mm-hmm. least they didn't or used weren't. to be, Maybe yeah. they are now. I don't know. They might but be now,
2: yeah. I, I was determined that I was going to have a family that was yeah.
4: close.
1: Yeah, me too. And
2: then we were going to support each other, go to your stuff, and be happy about it. Well, if you
4: think about it, uh, up until, what, late Gen X, there was a military draft. So most, I don't know about most, but a lot of the men went off to war. And when you're at war, pretty much the best thing you can do for yourself is to close off your emotions. Yes, And generally, once you close them off, you don't get them back. Yeah, so you true. know they they went off to war they hardened themselves and then they came back and then you know they still have that war brain where you don't get attached to anyone because they could just all of a sudden be dead right. the next day you right. never know
0: yeah well and there's also just a with men especially you know like the boys don't cry and act like a man and that kind of stuff
4: no, I think that's all from the draft but pretty there's... much no one in my age even believes that.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, think about it. It's like when people are bullied, it's usually a boy. That's not true. Are you kidding?
2: Girls are
4: no, horrible. No, girls are
0: teenage. I'm talking about, like, little kids. Teenage girls I are absolutely know. horrible. It's like the physical, you know, and, like, men are more, like, physical and, like, hunt-and-gather instinct and stuff like that. And it's just, I don't know. And I feel like there is something, because, like, Dan, his he grew up in a family of four boys, and then his dad grew up in a family of seven boys. And I think there was a lot of that in their family. Like, you know, we're men and we don't talk about our emotions. And... Although
1: yeah. my mother never put up. There were five boys in my family. She had to put up with zero fighting among the boys and said, if you ever hit one another, you can just get your bag and move out. She yeah. would That's not all allow do us to hit one
0: another. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Dan's Dan not and his ahead. brothers never hit each
2: other
1: or no. like
0: i mean they have they like didn't oh my god my flights. brothers used
2: to whack the shit out of each other <laughs> we gotta take a
1: break <laughs> we'll be right back with hour two